Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, brought to you by Blue Box Partners, the only show dedicated to small business residential surveyors and valuers, created by surveyors for surveyors. In every episode, you'll learn something new about the vibrant and thriving industry of residential surveying. We don't mind what flavor of surveyor you are or what level of experience you might have. If you're in the business of helping people with their homes, this is the community for you. Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast. I'm Marion Ellis. And today I'm speaking to Vanessa Hardwick, a chartered building surveyor who runs her own practice in Cardiff. So hi, Vanessa. Great to have you on the podcast today. Hello, nice to meet you. Nice early morning, sun shining. So yeah, good to meet you. It is, yeah. So whilst we're both worried about the kids breaking in and interrupting us, we've actually got really noisy birds outside. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're the same. <laughs> yeah, busy, busy morning for them already, I think. Yeah. Now uh, you're another. You're a fellow Welsh lady because I'm Welsh as well. Ah, yes, I am. I'm. Uh, just outside of Cardiff in a little village called Miskin. I sort of lived in Wales all my life, really. I went to Bristol for a little while. But yeah, it's lovely. It's nice to be back, actually. And all my family are here. So uh, yeah, nice, nice little area. So I'm from North Wales, so which is why I don't have a similar accent. Ah. But because I've travelled around with my work, I'm quite fickle when it comes to my accents. So the only time I really sound Welsh is when I've spent half an hour speaking to someone who's Welsh or I've had a glass of wine. So let's see how my accent is at the end of this session. Yeah, see how it changes. Um, my, my accent tends to get stronger sometimes, or I try to sort of become less sound, Welsh sounding. It doesn't work. Um, so. <laughs> No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> so tell us a bit about your career to, to become a surveyor. I'm always fascinated on people's careers. That's what this podcast is about. How did you get started? Well, I, I was uh, sort of surrounded by construction and building from well, really early. My dad's a builder, master builder, and he runs his own company. He's, he's 70 now and, and still very much hands-on. And they would, you know, the guys would come around to the house and set up and then they'd off they'd go so I loved it from really early so I I originally decided that I wanted to be an architect when I was about 10 because I'd heard they'd made lots of money firstly and it was the only job that I knew apart from being a builder in the industry I went to work in an architect's office for my work experience and decided it just wasn't for me I wanted to know more about how things worked behind the scenes a little bit more so I decided to do a course in construction after I spoke to a surveyor and asked him what routes were available because at the time it was quite difficult. There was A-levels and you went to university and that's how you progressed. But I went to college and did what was a GMVQ then at the time and I loved it. I met some really interesting characters on my course as well. And quite a few I still keep in touch with now as well, which is great. It's nice to see how their careers have moved as well. So I did that for two years. Luckily, it allowed me to get into university. I think if I'd done the A-level route, I probably wouldn't have been as successful. You know, I'm slightly dyslexic as well. So that report writing can be a bit of a challenge, especially when I was younger. 
Do you know, I was speaking to somebody for another podcast yesterday, actually, I was recording, and she found out she was dyslexic in her 50s. And I was speaking to a, a surveyor about a couple of weeks ago, he phoned up for a bit of advice on, you know, is this the kind of job for me? And it's really interesting, I think, how many people have have this as a challenge. Yeah, it, it was... Um... It runs in the family, but it was actually picked up when I was about 14, maybe 15, by my graphics teacher, of all people, not my English teacher. And I was tested. And at the time, I had like a reading age of an eight-year-old and the writing of an 11-year-old, which was a bit of a shock to deal with when you're sort of that age. But uh, luckily, I had really good support and it really helped. And I think that's something that I've kind of learned moving throughout my career is that if you've got the right support behind you you can overcome these things you can you find your way so I know I I do I'm not a fan of report writing but that's a big part of my job so I've just got to kind of get on with it and I know that I have some days which are a little bit slower at writing them than others but it hasn't stopped me so you know I was able to finish my degree I actually failed my dissertation twice along with a couple of us including my best friend as well so that wasn't too much of a a wrench then changed my dissertation completely and eventually managed to qualify and I think it just made me more determined it was something that I'd always wanted to do and I actually found my record of achievement the other day while sitting at the office and I must I remember I remember his record of achievement was it like a red folder thing yeah really nicely put together and I found it and it was really quite an interesting read some of the things I how I thought about myself really but the part in there of what do you want to do or what where do you see yourself and I put in there I'm going to be a charter building surveyor and that's sort of just the driving force, really, all the way through. So, yeah, it's um, I'm probably quite lucky that I'm. Yeah, to- yeah, and that's really quite interesting because a lot of surveyors I speak to say, "Oh, I fell into it." Yeah. Whereas actually, from a young age, you've been really determined as to yeah. what you were you were going you were going to be, and actually, everything that you've been through that shows just amazing resilience to get there. So, well done, you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, it's yeah it's been it's been an interesting journey and especially being probably one of only two girls on the course in university that didn't cause us any problems at all really in fact we were probably looked after more and you know pushed along and helped along a little bit more there was no sort of negativity towards towards women doing but, yeah but I think it's so important for girls at, at an early age that they get exposed to construction building because it just sort of plants that seed so that mm. you can work it out for your for yourself I'm interested you, you said your dad was a master builder yeah. first thing that came to mind for me was lego a lego master <laughs> builder. I'm sure he's not <laughs> he's quite good at lego I have to say but um he's a member of the federation of master builders and I think they used to turn them as a master builder and he's been part of that organization for mm. about years he started off as a an apprentice, a plumber. It was funny, he had a choice. He, one day he, he would decide whether he was going to be an architect or a plumber. And he went home and his dad said, right, you're going to be a plumber. And that's the route he took. Um, but he's he's fantastic. I use him a lot as my consultant sometimes without him realising. <laughs> he's been doing this for such a long time. You know, he's a lead specialist, copper specialist. He works on lots of older historical buildings. He's great at problem solving. 
so yeah, I, I do pick his brains every now and then and I got to sight with him as well. So I work with my dad sometimes, which is interesting. Yeah. And I guess it, you know, for me, when I look at, so, so my, I didn't really have sort of the same influence, but we had a lot of trades in the family and, and things. So I guess that sort of practical approach to, to earning a living mm. was, was there. And it's interesting now when I look at my kids who are five and 10, and if they're interested in, in anything, my husband's a civil engineer, works in transport. Mm. And my son really loves George Clark, Grand Designs, you know, the, uh, DIY SOS, he's discovered that one in America, you know, sort of the home makeover, home, in, home improvement. improvement. Yeah. Like way, one... Basically knock it down and build it up in a week. So he's quite architect, I think, type, you know, not so interested in really getting involved in practical stuff. Whereas my daughter, hands-on into everything. Yeah. And I'm really pleased because she's now moved away from dollies and discovered Lego. Uh, so I'm really pleased about that. <laughs> yeah, it's great because you get to do it as well, which is because, yeah, exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. So my son is trying to teach me Minecraft at the moment. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's we have hard, a lot that, of that. That's I can't do that. It looks, but it's great for imagination though, and building and things really. So, yeah. <laughs> my son said to me yesterday, went for a, a walk in the woods to, to get some fresh air. My son said to me, "Mummy." Do you know the most interesting, rarest thing ever about Minecraft? And he's like a mind of facts. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that I will never play it. <laughs> he's like, no, mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, love it, I love it. You could play it, but... Uh... So tell me about the... So you got qualified... Tell me about what, what you then did and how did you sort of start in your sort of first roles? Had- so after I got my degree, I was, I was trying to find work, which, you know, it was harder than I thought, actually, it would be. I went for a couple of interviews and then I ended up falling into local authorities. So Bristol. I knew you'd fall into something. Fall I'd into fall it. Into it. Oh, so fall it. it has to, somebody has to fall into something. <laughs> And my interview was very, very quick. It was, right, this, you're going to be looking at doing surveys for the home buyer, for the home right to buy process. Is it something you're interested in? I said, oh, yes, that would be lovely. And like, right, the job's yours. And, um, oh, right, okay. So I was only going to stay for a couple of months. And I ended up staying there for about 11 years and started off doing really basic surveys. And luckily, I was in a kind of a central team and we had specialist projects or one-off projects. So I was able to work with some really knowledgeable surveyors and it exposed me to PRCs, overcladding jobs, disabled extensions, structural issues, party wall. It was quite unusual because when I used to speak to other surveyors in the in the real world and I'd say I'd work for local authority, there was always that Oh, local authority. Oh, I see. But actually, the experience that I gained was was massive because you mm. had to do everything. So if we had a if I had a project, one of my first projects was a disabled extension for a family, and I had to do all the design work. I had to put the tenders together, contractor selection, run it on site, and I probably wouldn't have had that level of exposure if I'd gone into a, a bigger firm really at that age. So it was a a real eye-opener, but I loved it. I absolutely loved being part of everything, the whole process. Yeah, those were really big things to be dealing with. 
dealing with. You know, you mentioned cladding, PRC. I mean, that you know, I mean, back then, you know, it might have been felt like a big job <laughs> that you were doing, but now the consequences of the kind of work, you know, it's really yeah. Luckily, you know, I was working with surveyors that had, you know, it was ingrained in their blood, really dealing with over cladding of mainly sort of residential properties and dealing with concrete defects within within those properties as well. But looking back on it now, it was a big part of the surveying process, really. And it was just, it just became normal, really, in my work. And I, I'd probably be a bit nervous about stepping back into it now, really, that side of things, because I understand understand it more. And it's the same with the fire safety side of things. So part of my career at Bristol City Council was to get involved with the fire safety off when the new legislation came in. So the bit of a mouthful, regulatory reform, fire safety order. And I remember going to a training course before it came in and I was just mortified with what we were going to have to do. So I set up a little team uh, with my senior manager. We were responsible for looking at fire risk assessments to, it was 90 high-rise blocks of flats and well over 500, 600 other properties. So we had to get involved with the risk assessments and then work out what work needed to be done to bring them up to compliance, really. And when you start stripping away at your housing stock, you start realising what needs to be done. And it was a massive task and it was new. So even other local authorities weren't really sure how to tackle it. The fire service role had changed as well. So they were more of an enforcing authority than somebody that you could just pick up the phone to and have a you know friendly chat. So it was quite a big big program to to deal with but again I just absolutely loved it I love fire safety and finding more but it's a massive subject so with that kind of work that's quite risky and that's quite scary when you put into context actually the implications of the work we do how did you approach that such a responsibility yeah and I was I was quite it was the thing is it was all very new into what what we had to achieve and the the what we had to comply with. So I just sort of tackled it as I would with any other project, really. I sort of tried to understand, you know, the legislation uh, a lot clearer, really. But I also spoke to people who were knowledgeable in, in that. So I went and spoke to the fire service and said, look, I've, this is what I'm, I've been tasked with. Can we try and work together on it? You know, and, and that side of things. Luckily, I had senior management that were behind me as well or behind the team and uh, we could sort of try to plan what needed to be done and the longer that the project went on for the longer the after the legislation came in a lot of things became clearer and unfortunately a lot of that became clearer because of incidents and there wasn't really any case law at the time related to that and unfortunately you would learn from things that had gone wrong really Mm. and fortunately we were kind of a step ahead really but it made you prioritise the work and it was constantly revolving. So you think, right, this is what we need to focus on first. We need to sort out our fire doors first. And then there'd be an incident somewhere else in the country and think, no, no, we need to sort out compartmentation of our fire ducts. And so it was a real juggling act. Yeah, and I can see parallels actually in a sort of slightly different sense of, of just the work that surveyors do, you know, when they get a claim 
particularly sort of with some of the, the corporates, you know, you get a claim and everybody jumps on it, on it in the industry and we have to have a standard paragraph covers that. And then another thing comes up and there's another paragraph that everyone starts to use. And all of a sudden it becomes sort of quite a, a, a jumble. And it's, I, sometimes you can approach these things through fear fear of getting it wrong rather than okay how can we make this the safest how can we make this the best report the best advice but but as fair it can make you very anxious in terms of how you put things together and and how you report things and your anxiety and, and confidence of doing the job but it sounds like having the right network of support around you is is absolutely crucial yeah and I think that that sort of is the same with every project that you do or anything that you're doing is knowing when you're not competent enough as well and that's really hard especially when you're starting off in your career because you want to please everybody and you want to know everything and you want to be the best at everything but it is also knowing when you need to stop and you need to have that additional training or employ the right people to get that project done safely so at the time I didn't really, I suppose, understand the the magnitude of the risk. I just knew that there were risks and we needed to get them dealt with. But since I've stopped doing that side of things and I've had a break from it, I realised that I can't just jump straight back into it now. It is something that I'm going to have to really read up on, really get some more training and slowly get back into it because it's changed. And with things like the Glenfall Fire, there's a lot more emphasis on it now. And you can make one decision and it can have consequences that are just catastrophic, really. But at the same time, we need to get these things done. So there is an element of fear, but sometimes you have to face those fears as well. And, you know, we are experienced surveyors and the public rely on that. So, yes, it is scary sometimes (laughs) to put yourself out there, but you only grow as a you grow as a surveyor and grow as a person then as well. And a lot of this is about having confidence. And having that balance and that fine line between confidence and competency, really. Yeah, absolutely. So you don't do that kind of work anymore. You sort of, you had a, had a break for it. What happened to your career after that? So I took a, a small career break after, well, when I found out I was pregnant with my, my second baby. And I was commuting a lot. So my husband was traveling a lot with work as well. And I took a break. And actually, it was probably the, one of the good things, best things that I did, really, because I was at burnout, really. There was so much involved. And it allowed me to sort of focus on which sort of area I wanted to look at more. So I decided to leave local authority and not go back into that for now, but go into sort of a more private practice. So I joined a small surveying firm in, in Swansea. And when I first spoke to them, I sort of, they said, oh, yes, we don't really know where you'd fit, if I'm honest, because of your local authority background. So I offered to do some, I asked if I could shadow. Um, after I could go in and see what they were doing, offer to do some free work, but also to see where the gaps were in my career as well and the gaps in my experience. And uh, needless to say, it paid off and I ended up working for them then. And I just got to do lots of different types of surveying. It was a lot more fast paced than I was used to, keeping timesheets and being more accountable for finances and fees, which obviously local authority, yes, you have to deliver projects, but it doesn't that the emphasis is not so much on daily timesheets and obviously there's no emphasis on fees really budgets <laughs> but not fees so um yeah I'm still trying to come to get to grips with that actually so I did that for a while and I I sort of started getting a bit more passionate about things like party walls which I know is a bit of an odd subject 
and oh um, no, no no there are some people who love oh, really? walls who listen to this <laughs> podcast let me tell you oh it's, it's, it's um yeah it's I really I actually really quite enjoy it and I um I actually have done some of I just have a master class yesterday with Nick and that was brilliant um that, that's uh Nick Isaac Miss Isaacs yeah, yes yeah. exactly and uh yeah my husband doesn't understand it at all but there will be surveyors that will appreciate it. So, uh, but I, I got involved more in sort of project, a bit more project management. And that is an area that I really enjoy. I worked on some really interesting projects. I dealt with some difficult clients as well, mainly those that have been in the industry and now retired. Um, yeah, they're the worst. They're the worst. They have a really set good sense of, uh, of opinion and, um, and time, time on their hands. So <laughs> that can be a challenge. But yeah, it's sort of the project management stuff is great. And I realized quite early on as well that no matter how much planning you put into it and how much you try to think of all the things that could go wrong and try and put things in place, there will always be something that goes wrong. And it's about having the confidence to realize that. And you will find a solution to that problem. It might not be quite what you wanted it to be or how, but it, it will it will solve itself. You know, and I've had some interesting projects with that. Um, tell, tell us about some of your projects then. I think one project that springs to mind was when I was in local authority and we were converting two flats into a masonette in a, a resident sort of an elderly person's complex. And when we started digging through the ground to put some new foundations in for a wall. Went to site, everything was fine, great. Went back to the office, I had a phone call to say the water had started appearing in, in the middle of the lounge. And I said, oh, they've, they've gone and cut through a pipe. Brilliant. Not to worry, I'll go and have a look at it. We'll get our m &E chaps out and look, you know, to sort that out. When we got there, there were no pipes. There was nothing at all. So we, we pumped the water out and it sort of, gathered quite a bit of interest you know we had lots of people there sort of ooh, you know scratching their heads so I went and stood outside and I thought what am I what am I going to do about this you know we can't just have a this water appearing and I don't know where it's coming from and an old resident comes up and he said oh hello Vanessa how are you doing oh I'm okay I'm just, he said uh, I haven't got water in there by any chance have you and I was like uh yes and he said that doesn't surprise me I said, oh, that? He said well this whole building is built on springs you know, and it was really only a matter of time before somebody found one. So I had this bubbling spring in the middle of the lounge. And he said, oh, don't worry, it'll find its way out and it'll disappear. And I thought, no. But he'd, he'd lived in the area, so he knew it very well. And when they'd obviously did their testing, when they were building it, they didn't really discover them. And obviously things have changed and direction changed. And it just sort of goes to show that local knowledge is really oh, important. <laughs> you can't. I wasn't from Bristol and I didn't know the area well. And not that it probably would have made much difference at the time for that. But it was about when we had that problem, you know, taking a step back from it and mm. trying to work out. And also working well with your contractor. I had a really good relationship with the contractor and we were able to look at the problem together and solve that problem. And that is one thing that, and maybe because my dad's in the industry, I don't know, but I've always tried to be mindful of who you're working with, you know, whether mm. that's the lad who's sweeping up, you know, the mess in the, on the site or, or the professionals that 
are coming in. Everyone's got their own area of expertise. And sometimes you need that expertise, you know, when there's a problem. And I think it's about working together on projects. And, and that's helped me. Yeah. yeah and, and I see a lot of women actually working in project management or bring an element of project management to the work that they that they do. Yeah, yeah we, we, we tend to have a slightly softer way of dealing with things, I think. If I went up on site, I'd get two reactions. One would be like, oh, here we are, here she comes. There's another lady who thinks she knows everything. Or they would be on their best behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> what they said after I went is a different thing. But no, it, it was good. And, you know, I've always worked with them and I, I'd ask questions as well. So... Uh, do you know what? That's the best thing, isn't it? When I worked, uh, when I started out and I worked on a, a building site, I remember thinking, I'm only going to survive this. I was on a graduate scheme. I'm only going to survive this if I just ask stupid questions and, you know, just not be embarrassed by it, you know? And so I would ask away and sometimes they would think I was stupid and, and things, but I, that's the only way you learned. But they appreciated the fact that I was, I was curious and you sometimes just got to get over yourself, haven't you? And Yeah, exactly. And I think because you ask and you show an interest, they're more willing to, they want to show you. So, you know, I, I learned a lot about lime mortars and stone masonry and, and things like that because I asked. Uh, not only was I kind of interested in it as well, but because of the projects I was working on, but it was great. And I got, they got to show me and that really helped our relationships then moving forward. Yeah. So you mentioned um, conversion to masonettes for the elderly. So were you involved in sort of accessibility and adapting buildings and things for for disability? Yeah. So I used my first ever project was to do with disabled adaptation. So it was a residential property, a family whose daughter was severely disabled. So I got involved in doing the design for the extension. And what I sort of came to realise is that a lot of the time, especially when you're dealing with disabled adaptation, disabled works, is that the people who really need that piece of work are not listened to. So what they need, and not only now, but also the future as well, because obviously some conditions do deteriorate and it's not considered. So you would spend thousands of pounds putting a project together and building it. And then in a two years time, it wasn't really suitable. It wasn't fit for purpose. So that became quite important as well. So I'm not an occupational therapist, but I would really try to work with the occupational therapist and push them on what is needed. And speaking to the people involved and really trying to pin down a clear brief right from the beginning. And I think that gets missed quite a lot on projects, but also trying to explain if things change or the client wants to change things as they're going along, that it will have an impact either on cost or time or there'll be you know problems that will come up. So it was quite an eye opener, really. And I kind of I like that side of it is that you're actually you've got to remember that the purpose of the project what are you doing it for who is it meant to help what is the outcome of it and trying to remember that all the way through your project as well because it can be very easy to get pulled in lots of different directions and you kind of forget who you're meant to be helping as well so it's it's also been quite firm as well and that that's really quite difficult when you're starting off and I think sometimes as a as a female surveyor as well it's having the confidence to stand up to a a decision that you maybe know isn't going to end well (laughs) and and having that stance and explaining why why you you know rather than just 
I don't believe in that. I don't agree with that. Actually explaining why. And You're that- right. And, and sometimes you've just got to think before you engage your mouth. Because sometimes, you know, women being, I know I've had it and probably been it, you know, bossy or seen as aggressive. And actually it's just you passionately believe in something or, but sometimes you just got to engage your brain, either bide your time or be careful, mindful how you say it and to whom. And and I guess sort of play the game. And that's not necessarily just for, for women, but actually for any younger person coming through, you know, but not worry about it. if you don't say it if you don't speak out, then that actually when it comes to projects, things can be missed or opportunities not not taken to to do something. You're right. I think one of my previous managers said, look, you know, when you go to site, it's also worth all you're in a meeting is to listen as well. And so many people go to meetings and my husband's always saying that, you know, he used to travel and do sales director and he would quite often go to a meeting and he would just let them talk for a while. And he said, it's amazing what you, more you get out of that. And if you're not sure, go away, have a think about it, talk to somebody more senior maybe, and then go and tackle that problem then. So she said, not just jumping in. And we've all done it. We've all sort of been put in situations and it's not wanting to come across inexperienced, but actually you you can end up becoming that way really. Yeah, we all all make mistakes in our industry and, and that's okay. It's just knowing how to fix them is the is the thing we need to, we need to be good at as well. So uh, it's been you know obviously lockdown and we're coming out of it now as we as we record this. How have things worked out for you? Yeah, it's been quite a strange one really because obviously I I set up towards the middle of end of last year after having baby number three and made a difficult choice really. Uh, well, it wasn't difficult in the end. It was the best thing. I wanted to learn more about business. And I thought the best way was to jump in and, and do that. And boy, have I learned about business already. And the business was just starting to you know, get noticed, pick up some steam. My network of people was starting to grow and it was they were new relationships, new networks of people. And that has taken time. And literally overnight lockdown came in and work has, has stopped. And initially that was terrifying. And I thought, oh my God, I was doing so well. But actually it's been really good. I've managed to work more on the business side. So things like the websites and my accounts and training. I'm sort of overwhelmed with training. My book collection has grown. and But it's also allowed me to really think about what I want to offer as a business. And that's still developing. I'm still very new into the business and I'm, I'm making sure that I don't overwhelm myself with taking on too much and realizing that it's a, the process will build. So yeah, so it's been quite a challenge, but also, you know, having the, the three children at home, husband at home, homeschooling has been very interesting. My grammar is going to be fantastic. <laughs> the time lockdown is over. It's terrible. But yeah, so trying to juggle juggle all of that and just being really mindful of well-being as well. I think that's something that is quite important to me in work as well. I actually had postnatal depression on all three of my, my little ones and trying to make sure that that sort of well-being is, carries on you know, you're looking after yourself because it can become very, very easy to become overwhelmed and very stressed and drop down. And, you know, I was always very good at managing that through my work, you know, sort of calm on the top and then your legs are going underneath. And so, yeah, so it's, but I'm looking forward to getting back out there again 
and you know lockdown is in, in Wales is coming to an end now hopefully and yeah it's exciting work is picking up there's lots of people who are really eager and keen to to get out there my brother-in-law has got a company and it windows and uh, and that is just escalated in the last couple of days from nothing to people just really itching to get back to normality so orders are coming in and so it, it will really pick up I'm quite sure of that a bit slow to start off with I'm sure but it, it will yeah and just develop develop the business and building relationships really I've my my network in the because I've worked in Bristol and Swansea and I'm based in Cardiff now so for me it's about building that network of people and just get getting out there and enjoying it and that's important to me one of the things I always tell people and something that really helped me when I left my corporate role and explored what you know what life was like after that was just to get curious just to get curious about what what it's like to run your business, the different types of work out there and give yourself permission to to do that. I I gave myself 18 months of being curious. It's been a bit longer than that. And I think it'll it'll continue, but just to explore it because sometimes we can put real pressures on ourselves to perform and to do things in a certain way. And these are life changes. It's it's a life change to decide to work for yourself. And we've been through, um, you know, we all know that the the virus and everything has changed our our world and how we view things. But I think it's also meant that we come out of this with a period of reflection of what we don't want to do with our lives. And, you know, for some people, what they do want to do, or if you don't know, you know, get, get curious. But I think sort of be more mindful of the impact that we make on society, on our work, how we live, and absolutely things like well-being, you know, and being stuck inside and the difference fresh air makes. And Vanessa, it's been really good to talk to you. Yes, thank you. Interesting. Thank you ever so much. Enjoyed it. Thanks very much, Ryan. Yeah, good stuff. All right then. Bye, lovely. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Surveyor Hub podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you want to find out more about how we're making a difference, visit us at blueboxpartners.com.